What's happening, y'all? This is James Alexander of the Bar Case, and you're listening to WYXR 91.7 FM, Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah. Good morning, this is Bishop Phoebe Rofe of the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee, and welcome to Faithfully Memphis, here on 91.7 FM WYXR. Each week, we have the opportunity to introduce and interview an interesting person to learn more about their life and how um, faith has impacted the decisions and choices that they've made. So we always start the show with a saint of the day. And this week on the church liturgical calendar, we celebrated the presentation of Jesus Christ in the temple on February the 2nd. Um, this feast has to do with um, an understanding of the Jewish law at the time that Jesus was alive. Uh, in the Old Testament book of Exodus, um, we learn that every firstborn son had to be dedicated to God in memory of the Israelites' deliverance from Egypt. And if you remember that story, uh, the firstborn sons of the Egyptians died, whereas the firstborn sons of the Hebrew families lived. And so, after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple in accordance with Jewish law at the time, and Simeon was there uh, and was actually probably one of the first ones to realize that the promises that God had made uh, to the forefathers and foremothers had now been fulfilled. And in the old system, Burnt offerings and oblations and sacrifices had to be continually offered up to God. But when Jesus came on the scene, he was the new and perfect offering. God himself had provided um, a lamb, in a sense, uh, to replace all of the old ways of sacrificing and we know that as Christians, we believe that Jesus' death on the cross was the offering for our sins that was done once and for all. And we do remember this uh, tremendous sacrifice every time we celebrate the Holy Eucharist or uh, Holy Communion. Um and it's traditional that candles are lit on February the 2nd. So sometimes uh, the Feast of the Presentation is also known as Candlemas. And this is the prayer that is assigned for the Feast of the Presentation. Almighty and ever-living God, we humbly pray that as your only begotten Son was this day presented in the temple, so we may be presented to you with pure and clean hearts by Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And so now we're going to have uh, a hymn that has the themes of uh, the Feast of the Presentation in the lyrics. Thank you. 
What a beautiful reminder of the promises that God has made to all of us. Um, And we know that when we sing, we pray twice. So this morning, I'm very happy to introduce uh, our special guest, Sister Maureen Greiner of the Dorothy Day House, and I suppose I should say houses, since there are now three. Sister Maureen is the executive director, and this is an incredible ministry serving families experiencing homelessness by providing temporary housing and other support services. Excuse me. So, Sister Maureen, good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me to be here this morning. So one of the things that I like to do is to ask our guests to maybe tell a little bit about where they grew up and the role of faith in their lives if they grew up in a household of faith. I did grow up in a household full of faith. Um, I was born in Louisville, Kentucky, and um, church was the center of our family life. It, It just was. That's the way life was. I have an older brother who was a Catholic priest. Mm hmm and um, as children, we said the rosary every night with our family. I mean, it was down on your knees and rosary together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was really formative. My mother was a daily mass attendant, and my father was always very involved in all the activities at church. So our life was really focused around church in those years. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I would imagine that with the pandemic, I know one of the things that has been um, so difficult about this for me as an Episcopalian is that I haven't had the opportunity to have communion on a weekly or even more regular schedule. Um, Has that also been the case for you since the pandemic? Yes, it has. And I think that's difficult for for everyone of faith. Um, Eucharist is such a central part of our belief 
and we're attending streaming masses mm -hmm. um, and happy to be able to do that, but not being able to gather for Eucharist is difficult. Yeah, definitely. So your work now is with the Dorothy Day House, and um, I wonder what it is that, um, if you could share a little bit about sort of the history of the Dorothy Day House and who was involved in establishing this ministry. The story of the Dorothy Day House is really a story of God. Um, we always say it was not our idea, it was God's idea. Uh, back in about 2003, I was the director of a program called the Liturgical Ministry Institute for the Catholic Diocese of Memphis. Mm -hmm. And we were providing uh, classes in spirituality, in liturgy, everything related to religion for the Catholics in West Tennessee. Um, someone said to me, could we learn about Dorothy Day? Mm. And so we brought in a deacon who had um, worked with Dorothy Day and had himself established two Dorothy Day houses. Oh. He came and spoke for, uh, we had a weekend workshop. There were about 35 people there. At the end of that workshop, um, uh, the question was, now what? And so um, about 15 people said, I'm not sure what, but we'll pray for you. And the other 15 or 20 said, let's talk about it. Hmm. So we began to meet on a regular basis. Um, really every three weeks for a while and just entered into a time of discernment about mm -hmm. what it would be. We knew that whatever it would be was going to be life-changing for somebody. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to take our time and not, not rush into anything. Um, it was a, really a year later by the time we, all the pieces came together mm -hmm. and we decided that the, the one thing that was missing in the city of Memphis in terms of social service to the homeless was a shelter for homeless families. Um, typically, the women, homeless women and children are sent to one shelter. Mm -hmm. The homeless men, the father of mm -hmm. the family would be sent to a separate shelter. And shelters don't typically accept teenage boys. Okay. And so we knew that that was something we could do, that mm -hmm. we could focus on family life. And um, the pieces just really came together. Um, we bought our first house in 2004. Mm -hmm. It took us a while to get it all together. Right. And we opened in May of 2006. Wow. So if I were a single parent experiencing homelessness, a mother, and I had a teenage son, would he be sent to a men's shelter like by himself no. if, he, if he no I'm saying if 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 Dorothy Day house didn't exist no where would he go he wouldn't he would have to go into foster care wow which is why many homeless families that have teenage boys um, choose to live in their car mm. or choose to live in uninhabitable places because the mothers don't want to lose their sons wow. and they're afraid if they go into foster care they'll never get them back so um We've known a number of families who mm -hmm. have lived, just lived in their car. Wow. We had a, f a family about uh, maybe two years ago, and the woman was 38 weeks pregnant, and she had two teenage sons. She mm -hmm. asked them if they wanted to go into foster care while she got life back together again, and they said no. Mm -hmm. They would prefer to stay with her. And wow. so the three of them lived in their car for months wow. until um, finally she came to the, they came to the Dorothy Day house mm -hmm. and her baby boy was born 10 days later. Wow. So, um, it's so she spent her entire pregnancy living in a car. She did with her two teenage boys. With her two boys. teenage boys. So, wow. and we hear that story more frequently than not mm -hmm. because they, they just don't want to lose their boys. Right. So my understanding is that this is really an ecumenical ministry, that um, it, the partners are include folks who are not part of the Catholic diocese yes. 
Who are some of the other partners who have been involved in this ministry over the years? It would it would be <laughs> almost impossible to name all Got of them. Got it. We okay. have we have churches all over the city. Um, Grace St. Luke's, mm-hmm. we've, we've got Methodist churches, we've got Episcopalian churches and Baptist churches, and uh, it would be really hard got to, it. to name churches because the list is so extensive. Wow. We did that really on purpose. We really wanted it to be an ecumenical endeavor. Um, we wanted the influence from the other churches and the gifts mm-hmm. that they bring to the ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, we have great support from the Catholic community, but... That's just the tip of the iceberg. We really depend upon all of the other denominations to help as well. Got it. So my understanding is that Dorothy Day um, was a Catholic woman. She was a journalist and a social activist in the 20th century with a real passion for service to the poor. And that during the Great Depression, she started opening houses of hospitality to minister to the homeless. So what do you think it was about Dorothy Day that led her to get involved in this work? As you read um, Dorothy Day's autobiography, she talks about being drawn to the Catholic Church because of its focus on social justice. Mm -hmm. And um, then when she got involved in the church, she didn't feel like they were doing enough. Mm. And so she just she was adamant about reaching out to the worker um, and to the people who were homeless and hungry on the streets. Mm -hmm. So um, her story is so fascinating. And if anybody's interested in reading about it, there's a wonderful book called All is Grace by Jim Forrest. Um, And of course, there's the autobiography by Dorothy Day called The Long Loneliness. Mm. And there's dozens of books about her. She herself wrote eight books and hundreds of articles, um, actually thousands of articles. So there's a lot out there about Dorothy Day. She's such a fascinating person. Mm -hmm. And um, her journey was not an easy one. Right. And not one that... um, not one that many would have had the courage to take. Right. But she, she... her whole charism is so powerful that um, after we finished our workshop, it, it, you just had this sense that you had to do something mm-hmm. because of, of that charism of Dorothy Day. Yeah. So um, what are some of the services that a, a family would receive once they have been accepted or admitted? I'm not sure what the, sure. the proper terminology is to the Dorothy Day house here in Memphis. Once a family moves into one of our houses, uh, we basically provide all of their basic needs. Mm-hmm. We, we have clothing, we have food, uh, school supplies, school uniforms, um, haircuts, shoes, mm-hmm. whatever, they, whatever their basic needs are. Mm-hmm. Uh, our house managers then help the adults find employment. Mm-hmm. And we work hard um, to find them employment that we think is sustainable for family life. Mm -hmm. So, of course, the temptation is, well, I found a job and it's $9 an hour. Mm -hmm. And so part of our job is to say, no, don't take that one. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to live on $9 an hour with three children. Right. Um, So some of it is both holding them back so that they will go further. Um, we, We... have people employed in many different places Um, we also work with them to find reliable transportation Mm -hmm. whether that's a car of their own or if it's simply a a stable way to get there by bus or uber or something like that Mm -hmm. Um, and then when the time comes we help them find an apartment we work through MIFA with the city's rapid rehousing program Mm -hmm. and in that program Homeless families, um, if they are approved, and ours always are, if they are approved and select their own apartment, then the city will inspect it, and with that approval, the city will then pay their security deposit and one month's rent, Mm. which is great because homeless families often don't have pocket change. Right. When they come to us, they're they're pretty far down. 
So rapid rehousing really helps them. It's a wonderful program that helps them get started. Um, and then we furnish their house. Mm -hmm. We provide the furniture, the linens, the cleaning supplies, the kitchen utensils, the dishes, everything they need. Um, so it's really wraparound services. Mm -hmm. And they live in our houses. We have three houses which um, can serve three families at a time. Mm -hmm. So there's support system for each other. Um, as well as working on their own needs at the same time. And is there an average length of stay? Uh, typically five to six months. Okay. Um, we had a woman move out just this last weekend, and she was only there four months. Okay. And she has a great job, and she's ready to go. But typically it's five to six. Mm -hmm. Occasionally we have um, something that causes a delay, like... Mm -hmm. You know, an illness is discovered in the middle of their stay, and that means they need surgery or whatever. But five to six months is pretty much typical. We've had uh, 94 families go through our program okay. since we opened in 2006. Mm -hmm. And what is your sense about the extent of the need here oh. in Shelby County? In normal times, when we're right. there every day answering our phone, we're getting 20 to 25 phone calls a week wow. from homeless families looking for housing. Um, some of them we can refer to other agencies mm -hmm. who can help them, but some just fall between the cracks. Mm -hmm. They have circumstances where they can't be served by another agency. So. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones we really try to serve where they, they can't find any other help. Wow. Wow, that's a tremendous <coughs> need. Um, so how do families end up in the situation where they find themselves homeless, especially if it's a situation with the father and the mother still being together? Sure. Um, I think most people have um, one image of homelessness, and that image involves alcohol and drugs. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly not true of homeless families, of most homeless families. Um, we get families who have had a house fire. Mm -hmm. We have families who have been laid off because of COVID, mm -hmm. and suddenly life just fell apart. Uh, people who have spent all of their savings on medical bills. Mm -hmm. uh, we have people who currently have someone in the hospital uh, and <clears throat> they have no place to stay while that person is in the hospital, and so they end up with us. Um, I think an unusual number of single women move to Memphis for a man, and then suddenly he's not the guy that they thought he was, mm -hmm. and they end up not having any place to go. Mm -hmm. So we encounter those people. Mm -hmm. uh, and we do drug testing and background checks on all of our residents mm -hmm. so that we're sure everybody's safe. Um, it's homelessness just, it, it affects so many people mm -hmm. in so many different ways. And it is so traumatic, especially for the children. Yeah. So um, we're always just glad to help however we can. We can't help everyone. Right. We know that. And not everyone is a fit for our program. And sometimes mm -hmm. people come and start, and then they decide that th this just doesn't work for them. Right. But typically, our success rate is someplace between 60 and 70%. Wow. So we're pleased with that and happy that we can help that many people. So you mentioned, is it a house manager who's we at do. each of the houses? So does that person, along with the three families who are there, do they come up with, say, group norms or expectations? What are the expectations of a family? We have um, a house covenant mm -hmm. that all of our residents sign when they first come. Simple things. Um, it's really a house, a home setting. Mm -hmm. So they do all the house cleaning. They do their own laundry. They do their own cooking. They, it functions like Got a it. home. Our goal is to stay as far away from an institutional feel as we can. Mm -hmm. And if it really works right, the children don't even know they're in a shelter. Got it. They, you know, they think they're living with friends, which right. is great because that's what we want to be. Right. So um, the house manager is there to um, encourage the families to keep up with that house covenant. 
there is um, a, a curfew at mm-hmm. night. We expect everybody to be there. It's just some general rules. Right. I always say it's what my mother would have written down if she could have written down some, how, right. you know, some house rules for me. Right. Um, nothing odd. Nothing strange. Mm-hmm. Just. And so I'm assuming then, like it's a, a three bedroom house, and then each family has a bedroom. So the the That's earlier right. example that you uh, mentioned of the woman with the two teenage sons and then the baby, the four of them would have been sleeping in one bedroom. That's right. And that sounds odd to us, except you need to remember they were sleeping together in their car before. Right. So a bedroom with a bed for everyone. It's a huge improvement. A huge improvement. And a bathroom. That's great. <laughs> That's right. They wow. they have a place to, where they can uh, cook their meals. Mm-hmm. They cook what they want. We right. don't. We really stay out of that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. We try to let them continue their family dynamics, mm-hmm. so that we don't get in the middle of that. We we don't want to disrupt their family life. We yeah. simply want to be the support that they need to get back on their feet again. Got it. So I wonder, Sister Maureen, how has COVID impacted the ministry. I'm thinking about the fact that Shelby County schools have been virtual. So do the Dorothy Day houses have now children who are doing their schooling on tablets or laptops? We do. Yeah. Um, we never really closed down. Mm-hmm. We just did not have the heart to do that because we had nine families in our houses when uh, COVID struck. And so the staff went on an abbreviated schedule, but we We've kept the houses open. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have added, in addition to drug testing and a background check, we now require a COVID test okay. for families who are moving in. And uh, before school started back in August, we hired a young man to serve as our virtual school supervisor. Oh. So he is at Joseph's house every day. He has all of the children from all three houses. Mm-hmm. They each have their own desk and their own tablet and and he's simply there to keep them on track, to help them with any IT problems right. or to make contact with their teacher if he needs to. Um, he helps to keep the parents up to date on how the kids are doing and what help they might need. Um, it's, it's really, he's very good and it's gone very well, so we're really pleased. He's had a fluctuation. Sometimes he's had eight students, and then a family moves out, and they loses three of them. Got it. Uh, so he's had a big fluctuation in in the number of children, but uh, he's adapted well, and they they have to. That's great. So if someone um, would be interested in being part of the work of the Dorothy Day House, how can people get involved? Sure. We'd love to have volunteers. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's limited right now, but um, we love to have volunteers. And we use over 1,000 volunteers every year in normal circumstances. Uh, We appreciate any kind of financial donation at all. Mm -hmm. It can be very small. We have people who send us $5 a month, and we're thrilled. Mm -hmm. Um, Or even a one-time donation or a gift in memory of a loved one or in honor of a loved one. Mm -hmm. Those also are are gratefully received. A number of people give us in-kind donations, everything from toiletries to furniture to um, just whatever you need in your house. We need it in our house times three. If you can imagine how much laundry detergent nine families use on a regular basis, that gives you an idea of what, you know, Mm -hmm. just how much we need um and then finally we have um a nonprofit very closely connected with us called lucy j's bakery right down the hall from us here right here in crosstown Mm -hmm. lucy j's was founded by our development director tracy burgess and her husband josh Mm -hmm. um for many years the dorothy day house had wanted to have some kind of a business where we could employ our residents um it's, sometimes it's hard to get employment for mm-hmm. people who either don't have enough education to get uh, a good paying job or work hours just they can't find something that fits within family life right um so uh josh and tracy opened lucy J's bakery and they employ residents from the dorothy day house as well as other staff members um 
they're here in Crosstown. They make great sweets, pies, cinnamon rolls, cookies, cookies anything. Banana <laughs> nut loaf. I have been to Lucy J's. <laughs> I can do. attest to the wonderful nature of those treats. <laughs> so a purchase there not only supports Lucy J's and what, what they're doing, but it also supports the Dorothy Day House because the larger Lucy J's grows, the more employees they can have. So uh, that's a fun way to, to support both both of us, uh, Lucy J's and the Dorothy Day House. That's great. Um, so I wonder, you know, obviously without violating any confidences, what are some of the lessons that you have learned from the families you have been ministering to in the Dorothy Day house over the years? Well, I think the first lesson I've learned is that homelessness does not have a single face. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I think it's amazing, but we don't realize that the people who serve us every day uh, could be homeless. I mean, Mm -hmm. the woman who waits on you at Walgreens, she might be homeless. Right. Uh, the person who serves you at Perkins might mm-hmm. be homeless. Mm-hmm. It it just doesn't cross our mind because we think homelessness looks dirty and mm-hmm. lost, and and that's not true at all. Mm-hmm. Homelessness can look very normal, um, and I I just think that's a major lesson I've mm-hmm. learned is that you you cannot judge uh, people by what they look like right. because they can be suffering greatly because of homelessness um i think another thing i've learned is that memphis really cares Mm -hmm. um you know i've got friends from all over the country and so many people say to me how in the world did you make this happen how how did how do you get people to support you and i remember when we first opened our first um cpa said this is never going to (laughs) work this is the business model this is impossible you there is no way this is going to work but you know memphis is so generous Mm -hmm. and as i said we've believed from the beginning that this is a god thing Mm -hmm. this did not this did not bloom from any one person or even a group of people this was god's idea and um the people of Memphis have really stepped up. It's just amazing to watch how people respond uh, with just really unique things. We have a, a volunteer who brings us birthday bags. Mm. And so when it's time for a child's birthday, all we have to do is pull out a bag. Wow. All the decorations are there, the paper plates, the, the balloons, the candles, the cake mix, everything. I mean, who th- That's who a think great of idea. Like? So uh, people... People just have such unique ways of reaching out to help. Um, so financially, it's wonderful. We've we've been very lucky. We have we're in the final year of a five-year capital campaign, mm-hmm. and our goal was to raise five million dollars, which was just unbelievable when we started. We've now raised over four million. Wow! And we'll bring that capital campaign to a close in september Mm -hmm. however we have some big plans that are still underground Mm -hmm. that um we hope people will be excited when we can finally announce that and so the goal of this capital campaign was that to um really support the existing three houses or was there a plan to perhaps expand we only had one house ah when when you started started. so the two houses uh, were part of the capital campaign as well as increasing our staff. Got it. When we started the capital campaign, there were two of us, and now we have nine. Oh, wow. So we've, uh, and we've really accomplished most of what we wanted with our capital campaign. Mm-hmm. We still have one more piece that is uh, evolving, and we hope to, to make that public soon. Well, we'll certainly be on the lookout for that. The other thing I think you all did over the Christmas season, because I know that uh, my family, we purchased one, you had beautiful wreaths for sale. We do. Uh, our wreath and garland sale is one of our annual fundraisers. Mm-hmm. And um, those wreaths come from a, a business in Washington State. Mm-hmm. Um, they're gorgeous. They are the, mm-hmm. the wreaths and garlands. Uh, we still have ours on our front door. And the lady across the street still has hers up, too. And I, <laughs> I keep wondering which one of us is going <laughs> to give in eventually and take our wreath down. 
um, it's been a big fundraiser for us for years. We had to shift the way we did it this year. Most of it was done online, um, but it was wonderful. It was actually more successful than ever before. We have two other fundraisers, or three. We have Memphis um, Cafe du Memphis, which is a brunch in Tiger, at Tiger Lane that usually happens um, in May. That's mm -hmm. in connection with the Rotary Club. We have the Chicken and Beer Festival, and then we also have Wine on the River. And this year we're introducing one called Dinner with Dorothy. It's scheduled for March 20th. It will be a virtual presentation with an opportunity to purchase dinner and join us virtually for our program. Mm -hmm. um, those ticket sales will start soon. Great. So, And all of that information is on our website, which is www.dorothydaymemphis.org. Great. There's also a tour of one of our houses on that on the website, yeah. so people get an idea about what our houses are like. And I know um, back, I lose track of time, last year, you very graciously gave me a tour of one of the houses that was fully functional, and then another house that was just about to open yes. was being renovated. And I think the architect may have gotten an award for that house. It was a beautiful house. It is a house. Montgomery Martin was the contractor, and mm -hmm. A2H was the um, architect, mm -hmm. Gary White. We are thrilled with our houses. They, yeah, they're they beautiful. They did a wonderful job. Yeah. And the third house, Joseph's house, was furnished by Hunter Fan, which was a wonderful gift to us as well. Wow. So I wonder, Sister Maureen, in, in terms of dealing with persons experiencing homelessness, there's so much pain and difficulties that people have been going through i wonder what is giving you a sense of hope even in the midst of all of the things that you're seeing both personal uh pain and disappointments and all of the pandemics facing this nation um what's keeping your spirits lifted i think it's probably the determination of the families um Sometimes I look at them and think, how do you keep going? How, how do you manage? Mm -hmm. Because especially the parents not, not only have their own trauma, but they have the trauma that their children are experiencing. Um, I'm, just, I'm amazed at their determination. Mm -hmm. um, I'm amazed at the commitment of my staff. Mm. They are. It's just amazing to watch how they keep going every day. Um, it, it's just a wonderful staff that um, they have the homeless in their hearts and they care about these people, not because it's a job, but because they are the face of God. Yeah. And, you know, Dorothy Day said, the mystery of the poor is this, they are Jesus. And what you do for them, you do for him. And I, th I think just that thought gives you hope. Um, you know every day that it's bigger than just the people sitting in front of you. Um, but you know that you are making a difference and that you're changing lives, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we can get a family out of homelessness, then not only are we changing the lives of the parents, but we're changing the projection for of those the children. children. You know, five children, that's five families in the future. So, right. And we've watched families, uh, you know, where kids have graduating from college and other kids it's just amazing to see what they can do if somebody just gives them the help that they need when they hit that homeless place wow well thank you so much for um your ministry and the ministry of all of the staff and volunteers working with the dorothy day house and i hope that our listeners will Go to your website and learn more about this important ministry and find some ways to get involved. Thank you. Um, there are lots of ministries for the homeless here in town. Mm -hmm. Constance Abbey, we mm -hmm. know. Uh, no, Room in the Inn. Room in the Inn. They're about to open a new family shelter March 1st. Uh-huh. Uh, Manor House, Union yeah. Mission. There's so much. So we, we really try to work with all of those agencies. And we hope the people of Memphis will continue to support those agencies as best they can. Great. And now we're going to have another hymn. 
The next um, segment of the show is called Stump the Bishop, but Sister Maureen has very graciously agreed to be a part of this as well. And we have a great question from one of the youth in our diocese. And that question is, what do we do to relax? So I think I'll let Sister Maureen go first. Sister Maureen, what are some of the ways that you relax? Well, I love to read. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to admit, I focus on books on spirituality and business, which is a strange combination, (laughs) but that's where my interests lie. Um, And recently, I have gone back to quilting. Mm. I love to quilt and also crochet. Got it. So both of those are mindless activities that... uh, help just to bring the day to a quiet close. Yes. Like you, I love to read. Um, although I, I have found that I'm not reading as much at the end of the day since I've been a bishop as before because uh, sometimes the demands, my mind has already got so much stuff in it. But reading is relaxing. Um, I also really enjoy listening to music, all genres of music. And I enjoy WYXR because of their emphasis on music from here in Memphis. And then one of my favorite TV channels is HGTV. I'm an HGTV (laughs) junkie, so I love House Hunters, House Hunters International, Flip or Flop, Hometown, (laughs) Tiny Houses, (laughs) anything on HGTV, I can sit and watch for an hour or two at the end of a long day. So those are some of the things that we do to relax. And hopefully um, our listening audience uh, has ways of relaxing and unwinding at the end of a long day as well. And so now we're actually going to play another song. Like mountains, high soaring 
So thank you for listening with us for another episode of Faithfully Memphis. Just a reminder that you can find Faithfully Memphis on lots of platforms. In addition to listening to us uh, on WYXR 91.7 FM or their website, you also can find this show on the YouTube channel for the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee. And we're now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and any other podcast that you use to listen to music or talk shows. So please like us on those various platforms and give us a review to let us know how we're doing. This is a heads up that next week, my special guest will be Dr. Catherine Meeks. She is the executive director for the Absalom Jones Center for Racial Healing, which is a ministry of the Episcopal Diocese of Atlanta. And the mission of the Absalom Jones Center is to provide tools and experiences that allow faith communities to engage in dismantling racism through education, prayer, dialogue, pilgrimage, and spiritual formation. And since the pandemic began last year, many of the offerings of the Absalom Jones Center are now virtual. So those of us who aren't in Atlanta can take advantage of some of those opportunities. So until next week, my sisters and brothers, stay safe and stay positive.
XR. He's in the jailhouse now. 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 I told him once or twice to quit playing cards and rolling those dice. He's in the jailhouse now. Who used to steal, gamble, and rob He thought he was the smartest guy in town But I found out last Monday Bob got locked up Sunday They got him in that jailhouse way downtown He's in the jailhouse now He's in the jailhouse now He's in the jailhouse now He's in the Twice, to quit playing cards and rolling those dice He's in the jailhouse now up little Susie I told her I was the greatest man around She started in to spend my money Started in to call me honey We took in every honky-tonk in town We're in the jailhouse now 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 They told Twice to quit playing cards and rolling those dice. We're in the jailhouse now. WYXR Memphis. Thank you. 